Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. Today's episode combines a couple of my own interests. The first is the Black Church. I've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, and I know I've talked about it on other podcasts when I've been interviewed, but increasingly, a higher and higher percentage of my own heroes, as both an American and a Christian, are Black Christian heroes, basically. And if I'm looking at, for instance, how the white church has generally handled things, uh, social issues, um, all, all kinds of manner of problems. Uh, and then I look at the black church and I am more impressed with the black church, frankly. Um, I, it's a very complex question as to why that is. And, uh, I, it's something I'd like to think about some more, but in the meanwhile, I just wanted to know more about the black church and about black Americans more broadly and, and how the black church interacts with some other religious segments of black American society. And I saw that Pew, Pew Research had done this massive study. And this is the other one of my interests that intersects here. And that is survey data uh, and survey methodology and uh, just just surveying people in general and that, that kind of um, hard social science data. Uh, obviously, I've been doing a bunch of work around my own uh, spiritual abuse survey and development of that scale. 
And so I'm kind of in that world with school. But also, I just love when I can learn things about a population through this kind of rigorous research. And Pew Research is one of the best at doing that. So I am pleased to have uh, Dr. Bashir Muhammad on today to talk about what they found on this deep dive. Dr. Bashir Muhammad, thank you so much, man, for joining me here today. This is a topic, the Black Church and Black Religious America, that I have been really interested in for many years now. And as we will learn, the data on it has has kind of not been there and enter this incredible study that you and your colleagues at Pew Research have done. So thanks for doing that study. And thank you for being willing to talk with me about it today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to get a chance to talk about this study. So what was lacking in the previous research such that, you know, this big project came about? Well, I mean, big picture, we, we have a lot of data, Pew's collected this data, other organizations have collected this data, comparing Black Americans, broadly speaking, to Americans of other races, comparing to white Americans or, or other races more broadly. But of course, as with any other group, there's a lot of nuance within that group, right? And so that's what often gets missed in a lot of these studies. So, you know, in this, this study, because it's purpose-built and fairly large, allows us to look at how are African immigrants different from U.S.-born Blacks? How are non-religious Black Americans different? Uh, how are young people different? How are Black Republicans different from Black Democrats? So, so we can unpack some of these groups that are n- not large enough to show up in your average survey. <laughs> Just hear, hearing your clinical tone, which I love, it's like a, it's like a salve for my soul, <laughs> reminds me of uh, your publicist at Pew, or I, I guess, I don't know, she's a sort of a publicity handler, Anna, whatever her job title is. She was like, well, just to warn you, when I asked to do a longer talk, she's like, you know, our Pew Research employees, they don't, they don't editorialize. Like they talk about the facts that they're, they're not going to rile up your listeners, I think is the language she used. And I was like, oh, bless your heart. That's like, I, I understand that people often probably want that. Uh, but that's that's not really what I want on this show. And it's also probably just worth saying that for people to know that, like, you're you're not going to editorialize. You are representing a research institution. And so you're going to stick to the facts. I love that. That that kind of makes me breathe easy. But uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. But I thought it was in, in that particular context funny, but also obviously appropriate. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because it does wind up being a little bit distinctive. Uh the, the way we approach a lot of these problems or these questions. And that's true in this research I'm doing and talking to you about uh, with Black Americans. I've also done research on Muslims and, and Jews in America. And a lot of these topics, you know, abortion, we've talked about abortion, we've talked about same-sex marriage. Yeah. So we, we talk about topics that people get very excited about, right? That people right. have very strongly held beliefs about. And honestly, in, in my own sort of personal capacity, I have strongly held beliefs about all sorts of things, right? You know, people are people and right. they have opinions, but we work very hard at the Pew Research Center to make sure that the data that we're putting out is, is sort of clear and unbiased and we're not trying to spin it. And we're just trying to say, well, here's, here's the, here are the facts. Here's, here's the data. Here's what it looks like. And then you, you know, decide for yourself. You know, I'll, I'll say, for example, you know, the share of black Americans, like Americans overall, that are religiously unaffiliated, it has been rising. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's not for me to say. And there are folks who, right. who firmly believe, no, that's that's horrible. We need to do something about that. 
And folks who, who are on the other side, they're like, no, this is great. You know, blacks are waking up and they're realizing. And, and in our advisory panel, I had advisors that were on both sides of that and helped us make sure that the questions were framed in a way that really would be seen as fair as both to both sides or many sides for some of these questions and how we asked them and how we wrote them up and in how we talk about them. Because our goal is really to just inject data into the conversation. So, you know, whatever you think should be yeah. happening, it's helpful to know where things are, right? So that's what we can right, do. Like, right. Here's where things are. You know, you can have your own opinions about where they should go. 100%. Love it. Just, and listeners know how much I love it. So why focus this study on religion, religious faith in particular? Like I could think of a number of other potential focus issues. So, so why religion? So, you know, there, there's, there's two answers to that. The short answer, it's a little glib, but it's also honest. I'm a religion scholar. Hmm. Like I study religion. It's what I do. So that's why, yeah. I, that's why I looked at religion because that's what I do. That's what my dissertation's on. That's what my PhD is in. Like that's the, the team I'm on. I'm on the religion team at the Pew Research Center. So I study religion. Right. And so that's why this is about religion. <laughs> um, but, but I'm sure that you and other people had like competing right, right, but, proposals. So why was yours right, but, but then, you know, the, the, but even though, you know, I, well, it's because it's because re- I do religion. The, the broader point, I think, that's worth making is that religion's important, even if that's not the core topic you're interested in. If you're interested in questions yeah. about politics, about social justice, about the environment, about pick your topic. Religion plays an important role, and, and this is especially true for Black Americans, which are highly religious. So, for example, and and see religion and and various aspects of sort of social and political engagement as, as deeply intertwined. So, for example, you know, three quarters of Black Americans that are affiliated with a religion say that opposing racism is essential to their faith. And so, if you're interested in racism, religion is why we should be talking about religion. Right. right. Because it's sort of like trying to understand the white evangelical voting bloc and only talking about economics right. or something. Right. It would just wouldn't make sense. Right. right? You know, you're talking about white evangelicals and maybe you should talk about that evangelical part of this occasionally. Right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> there are other things right, going yeah. on, of course, but part of it is 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 a religious or, or part of those conversations are religious. And so engaging with that is important if you're trying to understand the issues. Can you give me just like a minute or so on the the actual just mechanics of the study, how many people, how you got the data? Sure, sure. So I'll try to do it in a minute. <laughs> yeah, whatever. whatever. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's fine. But no, uh, so broadly speaking, the core of the study is a, a survey of nearly 9,000 Black respondents. And we define Black quite broadly. We included people who were who were mixed race, we included people who were African immigrants, um, but about, it was 8,660 respondents um, that identified as black or African American. And so that right there gives you a study that's larger than most general public studies. Most general public studies, you know, might be 3,000 respondents and would be respectable, right? Um, And in a study like that, you'd get, you know, 400, 500, maybe 600 black respondents. So we're more than 10 times bigger than that. And that allows us to, to really dig into those subgroups. I mean, the other piece that's worth highlighting about the methodology is, is not just how many people we contacted, but how we contacted them. 
because it's not just how many people you have, but do you have a representative sample? Like, can you use all those statistical models and stuff? Do they apply? Or did you just talk to like 9,000 people in the same town or 9,000 people that all go to your church? Right. Or whatever? And so we worked really hard to make sure it's a representative sample. A lot of the analysis came from what we called an address-based sample. So we got a list of all the residential addresses in the United States and sort of randomly selected tens of thousands of them and sent invitations to take a screening survey. And people who identified racially as Black or African-American were invited to continue on to take a longer survey. And the initial invitation asks them, it was like a postcard and a, set of, and a letter and a series of steps that encouraged them to go online because it's just, it's easier for them. It's easier for us. Just go online and fill out this study. But we also realized that not everyone's comfortable with that. And so right. there was an option, you know, we sent a couple letters, Hey, here's a postcard, go online. Here's a, here's a letter and, and some money, please go online. Okay. We see you're not going online. Here's a paper packet, fill out this paper packet and put it back in a self-addressed stamp envelope. And so we made sure that people who weren't comfortable going online, who didn't have internet access or just didn't want to go through that, I've got internet access, I'm not using it for that, could just fill it out on paper. And so we, we sort of added those addition, that additional step to make sure that people could fill it out. And so it was representative and not just you know, 9,000 people that all you know, are using Google or something. Yeah, anybody who has followed any of the kind of controversies over the presidential polling would uh, find that to be, I mean, it's expensive, mm -hmm. right, to do that. Right. But that's the kind of thing that might help fill in some of those uh, gaps under representation, for instance, of Trump voters and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Okay, so what should we keep in mind before we get to the findings? Like, what is important in the broader context of religion in America? <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, that's an, its own hour. Yeah. But, you know, what are some of the top line points that will help us more fully appreciate what you found? I'd say one probably the single most important sort of top line point about religion in America writ large is that the share of Americans that are religiously affiliated has been declining in recent years. Yeah. The share that are religiously unaffiliated has been growing. The share that identifies Christian has been declining. And so that's the context in which this study comes about. And it's important in part because we see some of these same patterns some of the same trends in terms of disaffiliation by age and these sorts of things. But it's also important because we see places where, where there's sort of a push against that, where, for example, younger Black Americans are more religious than younger white Americans. So the share of mm. Black American, young, young Black, say Gen Z, the share of, of Blacks and Gen Z that attend religious services, say they believe in God, identify as Christian, are higher than among white Americans even though at the same time, it's lower than it is for, for older Blacks. Yeah, interesting. So, so there's this overall pattern of uh, declining religious affiliation that, that we see broadly and that we see within this community. But on the other hand, there's still high levels of religiosity. It makes me think of uh, some research that I found by Dr. Thema Bryant-Davis, who's at Pepperdine, and she does work around like faith and resiliency mm -hmm. is maybe one way of putting it and just general kind of well-being stuff. And she has a lot of studies that she's done specifically with like black youth and the way that even in a less to summarize, hopefully I'm not getting this wrong. I read this like a year ago, but even in a less organizational religious context, as you say, the young people are less likely to 
be affiliated or be members or whatever. There's still like the language is built in there. I th- one of one of her articles is called "Wearing My Spiritual Jacket," and like that's a, a line that one of the kids gave her right in or adolescents gave her in her study. And so these things have consequences. Like that higher rate of religious black youth versus re- versus white youth more religious. There already are consequences there sort of socially, sort of developmentally, in terms of risk factors that I think a lot of times people don't understand because they don't know that research literature and maybe, you know, there's all kinds of reasons that they don't have that kind of – but I don't know. Do you have any – I don't know if you have anything to respond to that. Yeah, I mean I think, I th- I think, I think you're spot on that there's, there's certainly a broader impact of that trend. Like there's, a, there's, there's some results from that that, that we see. You know, one 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 aspect of it is, you know, looking at religiously unaffiliated black Americans, religiously unaffiliated black Americans, by and large, say that nine and 10 of them say they believe in God. So I'm not affiliated with a religion, but I believe in God or some other higher power. And about half of them say that they pray at least once or twice a month. And these are the unaffiliated folks. And, yeah. you know, we, we also in this study, like I said, the main part of this was a large survey. We also did a set of focus groups and in-depth interviews. And it, we did one of the focus groups actually was with a group of, of religiously unaffiliated folks. And in this, we, we heard some really sort of rich conversations about sort of decoupling the idea of affiliation with a religion and sort of a, a sort of spiritual commitment. Uh, so yeah. people who, who are very comfortable saying, look, I don't go to church. I don't need to go to church, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I don't believe in God. That doesn't mean that, you know, I don't feel like God right. is walking with me. And so and we heard those sorts of things in the focus groups and we see that in the data as well. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by that and have already dedicated a couple episodes and an upcoming episode to sort of looking at the nuns more broadly. And I want to I want to come back to black nuns or the unaffiliated at the end after we get some more context for what's going on with the affiliated Mm -hmm. um, with more religiously affiliated black Americans. But so you gave us a little bit. Okay. So there's the big decline going on. That's across race. That's across gender. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of everywhere. And it's mostly young people leaving, but you also have in the report, a whole chapter on the history of black religion in the U S. So now zooming in a bit on black religion, obviously again, a massive topic that is, you know, there are thousand page books written about it. But are there a few important points, you know, moments, cruxes, issues, lenses that would help us to make sense of your findings? Yeah, I think so. You know, if I were to summarize it, sort of the the core, it's – or sort of one sort of core point, it's that the black church or black religious institutions have played an important role in black American life not just religious life, but life for a very long time. And that's true as a social force, as a political force, you know, and so, you know, you can, you can go all the way back to, you know, to sort of the antebellum period and see that black Americans are trying to use religion and use church as a way to make sense of, or, or, deal with the situation that they're that they find themselves in as, as enslaved peoples you can continue on and you, you can you can continue on to to the civil rights movement and you see you know a lot of the the major civil rights figures uh you know your 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 
Dr. King, your Malcolm X, are, are figures in a religious space. Right. And, you know, that, they're preachers, that is, basically. Right, right. These, these are preachers that are, that are yeah. leading these movements, right? And even sort of below the surface, so, and, you know, those are sort of household names, everybody knows those, but sort of below the surface, there's sort of a broader sense that, like, this place has been a place where, uh, where we can organize, it's a safe space, it's a place where we can learn, and it's a place where there's, where, where there's dignity. So this is a point, actually, that uh, in our interviews with clergy, um, that we touch on a little bit in our history conversation, but in our interviews with clergy, you know, they highlighted, you know, for example, one, one clergy member said, you know, historically, you know, a, a black American might out, sort of out in the world be not well treated, not well respected um, by the public writ large. But in the church, they're not just, say, Mr. Smith. They're not just Mr. Smith. They're Mr. Smith, the trustee. Hmm. And being Mr. Smith, the trustee means something like that has that has a weight. And not only yeah. does it have a weight in the church, it has a weight outside the church. They can go to the bank and be like, I'm Mr. Smith, the trustee of the church. And that means something that it would not have that like if you were just Mr. Smith, both in right. and outside of the church, you would have been treated differently. Yeah. And so it's a place where and one of the few places where, where that sort of dignity exists. Right. Because they're not the trustees of universities. They're not the trustees of, of museums. Right. But they can be the trustee oh, of the church. And so so there's this this sort of historical power. That continues on. You know, we ask in our survey some questions about um, the role of the church. You know, what role has it played? What role does it continue to play? And a lot of Black Americans continue to, to see an important role. But it's rooted in this history. It's rooted in this sort of recognition that, that this is a place that has served a certain role. Um, yeah. I mean, so I am allowed to editorialize because I don't work for Pew Research Center. And so I'll, cards on the table for me that, I don't know, may be uh, some good color for our engagement. I both find the black church to be the single best example of a, of Christian faith lived in the United States. Like when I think of who that, you know, carries the same banner of Christ that I carry, if you want to use that language, like who am I looking up to? It is far by far disproportionately black Americans and, and black religious communities, especially considering the percentage of the population that they uh, account for. Right. And, and at the same time, I am, I am truly, I truly do not understand how that slaveholder religion, which didn't even grant them citizenship. It didn't even grant them their freedom, theological, Basically, compromises were made, uh, to use historian Jamar Tisby's language and analysis, that like we, we, they made these compromises so that the church could still remain powerful among whites. And, and you know, some of those compromises were maybe done in sort of good faith by some people with limited whatever. I, you know, you don't, you don't want to be too anachronistic. But the point being, like, mm -hmm. it comes out of just the most disgusting chapter of hi American history. And yet, the fruit of that ends up being the religious movement that led the civil rights movement. Like it's, it is miraculous is one way of saying it. That's not a very good social scientific term because then what are we doing? But like, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And one of the things yeah. I'm so interested yeah. to be able to put some pieces together for, and, and I think that this is one of those pieces, this idea that when you can set up that structure that has, 
that is buffered, as it were, from the bullshit out there in general society as a black American, you know, especially pre pre civil rights movement, but basically at every point in American history, then you can start to have these independent systems of esteem of trust. I love that the word trust is in the word trustee of like it's it's this kind of I don't know, it's parallel institutions in a sense in a way that is uh, beautiful as opposed to the ultimately damaging parallel institutions of white evangelical Christianity, in my opinion. Okay. I talked for a long time there. Do you have any (laughs) non-editorializing responses to, to that? I mean, I would just, the only thing I would throw out is, is, is sort of in concrete terms, what we saw in our, in our survey data about some of this. So one of the ways we got at this is, is we wrote up this sort of historical analysis, right? And another way was we talked to clergy. But in other ways, we just asked Black Americans, what role do you feel like Black churches played in helping Black America, helping Black people move toward equality in the U.S.? And the overwhelming majority feel like, yes, absolutely, Black churches played a, an important role. And a significant number, more than half, say that um, Black Muslim organizations like the Nation of Islam right. played an important role. You don't see as many saying white churches played an important role. Huh, I wonder why. <laughs> So, so there's definitely, you know, there's this sort of recognition that, no, this is an institution that has, that has historically played an important role. One other thing that I I think is interesting is the use of, of things like the Exodus narrative, right? So the Exodus narrative is, it's in the Bible. Uh, I learned it growing up, you know, a white Protestant, like definitely was a part of our sort of broad story, but, but nowhere near the center of the story, right? It's, it's one of the better Old Testament, you know, bits or something like that. But in the black church, right, for obvious reasons, you have this story of an enslaved people. They are enslaved for ethnic reasons and God delivers them from the oppressive, you know, slaveholders basically and sends them to the promised land. And of course, anybody who's heard a civil rights speech, especially, you know, MLK, but many, many others, like you often hear references to Exodus and it's, it's common in black preaching. Is there anything that you can, any light you can shed on sort of that, that through line and, and I don't know, maybe how that relates. Does, is that a big part of, here's what I want to say. Is there any evidence about causality one way or the other? So is it that the church was already a natural place to work on political equality? And so there's the Exodus story to use, or is there evidence that the strand of the Exodus story makes it more likely that the church is a place where we would work on political equality, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I have to admit, that's not an area, I'm not a sort of biblical yeah. historian in that way, which is sort sure. of what you'd want to, who, who you'd want to yeah. ask that question to. Um, I, I, I do know, you know, I know that, you know, there are definitely historians have made that point that, that this has been an, a central narrative throughout history. And, and as you said, you can just sort of listen to, to, to more modern and sermons and the like and, and hear it. But in terms of sort of the direction of causality, that's a that that's not one that I'd feel super qualified to answer. I would say my suspicion, and, and hopefully, you know, Anna will come hunt <laughs> me down for this. Um, my suspicion, uh, just as a sociologist, is that it's probably mm-hmm. a bit of both. Because I feel like most things wind up being probably right. a bit of both. Um, it's almost never the case that like there's a sort of simple causality of A goes to B goes to C in social science. Um, and so I suspect there's some, there's some feedback. Yeah. 
So speaking of outsized influence, uh, Black Islam kind of comes to mind, right? So Black Islam plays a pretty big role in certain kinds of media, especially like films and documentaries that are focused on the civil rights era. But there aren't like very many black Muslims in America, right? What are, what are the actual numbers on that? Yeah, so, so the number of, of black Muslims in America is, is, relatively, is, is, is relatively small. It's still hundreds of thousands, a million. So, you know, so it's, not, a, it's right. not five people, right? But, it, but, but we're talking in percentage terms, we're talking about low single digit percentages, which on the one hand does make Islam more common among black American, U.S. born black Americans than among okay. U.S. born yeah. white Americans. So it certainly is more common among, among blacks than among whites, um, especially if you're focusing on U.S. born. But the influence is more than, and the conversation is more than, you know, two, three, four percent. Like it's more than the sort of single right. digit percentage, right? And so, so what's going on there? Uh, and I think there's a couple of ways to make sense of that. I think one, again, drawing from the survey, there's a fair number of people who identify as Christian or, or even identi- don't identify with any particular religion who feel, who still feel a connection to Islam. Who's, you know, we asked the question about, do you consider yourself Muslim aside from hmm. religion? Um, and and there, there are a fair number of people that said yes. And they, they named things like practices like fasting or avoiding pork. They also talked about ancestral ties because there's sort of recognition that some share of the Africans that were brought here as slaves were Muslim. And so there's a sort of, there's a sort of ancestral tie back to Africa that some people see. So, so we heard some of that in, the, in our interviews. Um, but the other piece of it is, and I think this helps to make sense of the distinction between the views of Islam and the role of Islam in the views of Black Americans and white Americans, is we asked a question, I alluded to it earlier, about the nation of Islam and Black religious organizations and the role they played in civil rights. And, and most Black Americans feel like these organizations played a significant role. And you know, most historians would say that, that that's borne out in, in sort of the historical record. And so their engagement with Islam stems from that, sort of starts there. It starts with this sort of like, this is a group that's fighting for civil rights. This is a group that's working with us. This is a group right. that's moving us forward. As opposed to engagement with Islam starting with, for a certain generation, the Iranian Revolution, or for another 9/11, generation, right. 9-11, yeah. right? This is an engagement that predates right. those things. And that's seen right. as positive. And so there's a certain amount of, of sort of rudeness and a certain amount of sort of acceptance of Islam that's present in, in the black community that, that's not as present in other places. I read a book once by a scholar who said, who, who used an interesting phrase. He, he used the phrase cultural apostasy. And he said that for black Americans, becoming Muslim does not require an act of cultural apostasy. And what he was saying, and, and what he was saying was, you can say I'm Muslim and people aren't like, but are you still black? Hmm. And because of these other engagements. That's really interesting. Yeah. Just thinking about kind of how much going against the grain it takes for your average white American to convert to Islam versus your average black American. There's a a much clearer, you know, pathway basically in black culture. It seems to me from the outside. Mm If you'd like to support this show financially, 
You can become a patron at patreon.com slash dancoke. Patrons get access to the Facebook group, which is for patrons only and is a fantastic both resource and digital community. And they also get access to two exclusive episodes per month, uh, as well as all the previous exclusive episodes that are on that feed. You get an RSS feed that you can add into any podcast player, and it shows up just like a regular podcast. Uh, So you get two of those a month. Uh, Also, if your spouse is a patron, you can join the Facebook group. So just there's a button that you can check when you request to join that says my spouse is a patron and we can look that up and verify it and you're good to go. So feel free to, to uh, join if that's you. Uh, Patreon.com slash Dan Coke. Again, that is in the show notes. And let's get back to my conversation with Bashir. So I want to ask about mosques and churches and also just give you an opportunity to say more if you want about how these churches and mosques function in the black community. The first thing is just, do the mosques function the same way as churches, as we've been talking about? Not necessarily, but I think, I think that the sort of the easiest way to think about this actually is that there's often a, and, and in our conversation, I've, I've sort of been doing this to some extent as well. It's important to remember that not all black Americans are in black right. congregations, Right. Um, and so we can talk about the black church and the role that that plays. And it's an important role in, in sort of society and in, in, in black culture and all of that. And it is the case that among black Protestants, about two thirds do worship in a space where most of the congregation and the leadership right. is black. But it's also important to keep in mind that that's not the totality of the experience. There are lots of black Americans that are worshiping in mixed race spaces that are worshiping in majority white spaces. And so, you know, there's a distinction that's worth drawing between black faith and black congregations. That's and that's, and that's even a bigger sort of factor when you move away from Protestantism. So among Protestants, the majority, about two thirds, uh, say that their congregation leadership are, are black or African-American for other faiths. That's not true. So most black Muslims don't worship in a, in, a, in a space that's a black religious space. That's a space where the leadership is, is black mm. or African-American, where the congregation is black or African-American. And so, and so that's a very, and so there's a very different sort of experience and set of expectations. So because of that, you don't have the same sort of cultural shielding that you have in these basically all black spaces that can kind of be autonomous in, in some sense. Yeah, it really it, it sort of depends on where you know where yeah. where you're talking. There, there's a lot a lot more sort of variation. Well, not there, there's a lot of variation there. So, for example, if you're talking about um, say the Nation of Islam, if if, if you're going to the, the Nation of Islam mosque or temple, it's going to be yeah. a black leader. It's going to be a black congregation. It's going to be that sort of space. If you're going to, you know, the Albanian Islamic and Cultural Center. Yeah. Then it's not going to be a lot of Albanians, space. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and especially I would think with it with it being such a small share of the population, there's just you don't have the same kind of uh, market choices that you have if you are Protestant, for instance, right? There's right. there is the mosque near right. you, and then there's probably not another one. You know, maybe if you're in an urban setting, there might be a few, but yeah, just that's what you right. get naturally. So that's that's absolutely true, and and as you alluded, it it really. Yeah, you know, it depends if if you're if you're in New York, 
right. you're in Chicago, if, you, if you're in Washington, D.C., then you can really be picky because there are right. lots of mosques of, of various sorts. But in most places, you're not going to have that option, right? You're not going to be able to say, well, there's 80 mosques in the city, so which one do I go to? But there probably are 80 churches. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's so there just isn't as much, like you said, choice in that way. It's interesting to think that, like, up until a certain point, black churches were sort of necessarily all black because they're whether or not they are allowed to worship as parishioners only. They certainly weren't allowed to preach for a very long time in white congregations. So that has to be seen as a trend, right? It's, it's a trend toward an increasing number of uh, or increasing percentage would be in mixed race spaces or or white spaces, I would think. Over time. Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's sort of a broad stro- so so there's a broad stroke there that I think um, is almost necessarily true. Like if you if you're in a period of of legal right. segregation, then there's going to be segregation. Right, right? Yeah. Like it's just like it just it follows sort of by definition. And so in that way, we definitely have seen seen some decline. I mean, but it's also true in in more concrete terms, and you know, this is something we see in the survey data that younger black Americans are more likely to go to a mixed race church than older mm-hmm. black Americans are. So there's some generate some, some generational shift there as well. So, so there's, there's, there's that pattern. I'm really interested in the role of black women, black women, uh, leadership roles. You found some really interesting numbers that kind of tell a very complicated story there. Can you tell us about sure. that? Sure. So it's interesting because we see, Questions about uh, we asked we asked two types of questions. When we were trying to explore re- the religion and gender and those interactions. We asked two different types of questions. We asked people about their own views and experiences, and we asked them what are they seeing and what are their congregations doing. Yeah, and that's where in many cases we saw disconnects. Most Black Americans, so about seven in ten Black Americans, for example, said that opposing sexism is essential to to their religious identity. So it's you know, comparable to maybe not quite as high, but comparable to the share that say opposing racism is. You know, eighty-five percent say churches should ordain women, and three quarters say that in a household where there are two parents, a, a, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, they should be equally responsible for the finance of the family. Hmm. So, so this is sort of the pattern we see when we ask people about their own. They're they're pretty egalitarian right. at a personal view level, right. yeah. Right. But then when you ask questions about the congregation, only about three in 10, maybe a little fewer, said they've heard sermons that addressed sexism or discrimination against women. They're much more likely to have heard sermons about racism and and, discrimin- and racial discrimination. There are many denominations that don't ordain women. And then there are those that, that you know, legally can't sort of canonically allow themselves to, but really rarely do or rarely do in position in sort of in larger churches or in positions of power, et cetera. Um, so there's a disconnect there. And respondents said they're much more likely, the ones who go to, to, to congregations say they're much more likely to hear messages about men, the importance of men supporting their families financially than about women supporting their families financially. So they're saying they feel like there should be sort of an equal division, but that's not what they're hearing from their congregation. Yeah. So, so there's, there's these, this disconnect between what they're saying sort of personal are their personally held views 
even their personally held views as infused by religion or as it relates to religion and what they're hearing in their congregations. Yeah, that's that's just a thread that I'm going to I'm making a note to kind of if I see anybody kind of talking about that internal conversation within the black church, that's something that I'd be really interested to learn more about. It's not really it's not my conversation to have, but that seems like a, a disconnect that is ripe for some kind of reform. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was thinking, oh, well, is it, is it that maybe just, you know, black Americans are more conservative on gender issues, but then that those personal views answers don't reflect that. So it's something else. And it's, it's kind of an intriguing mystery, I guess, from a social science perspective. Mm -hmm. I want you to say a little bit more about the racism as part of, part of one's faith as a progressive white Christian. And most of my listeners would be in this boat, you know, it's been, disheartening to say the least to see how the white church has responded, you know, in the wake of of George Floyd and BLM protests. But of course, going back uh, since for 400 years, really (laughs) going back from 1619 on and surely before that in back in England and whatnot, but it's the opposite in the black church. And I just wanted to kind of give you another opportunity to just, to just fill that out a bit more because that seems like a really salient difference uh, between white and black Protestantism, especially in the States. So, yeah, so there definitely is a, a real sort of engagement in a wide range of, of what you might consider social justice issues among black Americans uh, and in their congregations and linked to their faith. You know, whether, whether we're talking about discrimination and racial discrimination and the extent to which they see that as opposing it as essential to their faith and we knew, you know, from other studies, and we sort of had data that in hand that showed, you know, Black Americans have these are more likely to have views about discrimination being a problem and being something that needs to be overcome. But what we wanted to get at here is, do they link it to religion? Like, it's like, you know, you can say, like, yeah. Yeah, this is a thing and it's bad, but not every bad thing is a religious thing. Right. Right. And so we want to get like, not just is this a bad thing, but is this a religious thing? Like, is this something you see through the lens of your faith? And most Black Americans said, yes, this is something I see through the lens of my faith. You know, we also talked about what types of sermons they hear, what types of sermons they want to hear. And this and other sort of political and social topics come up as important threads, as important issues. They they want to hear these things. And, you know, I'll I'll again jump back to my focus groups. Uh, In the focus groups, we had these conversations and people would talk about, you know, what draws them to the church and what makes them go to a black church and, you know, how do you decide where you want to go? And they'd say, you know, things like, I need a sermon that speaks to my experiences. I need a sermon that, that, that engages with what I'm going through, not just the sort of generic, sort of general and generic, but like, you know, here's what I'm going through, you know, for the rest of the week, I come here on Sunday and I need the I need the preacher to to link what I'm going through to my faith. Like, how does my faith help me work through this? That was something that, that we heard very strongly in our focus groups. Interesting. So one issue that I've seen come up just in in conversations, in books, in film and TV shows is the question. And, you know, like uh, LeBron James is tackling it. There's sort of like homosexuality, homophobia in the black community, I don't know, Frank Ocean, it's it's in the air, right? And there's obviously a religious connection. And and then even in some of the, the international denominations, like the United Methodist Church, for instance, like the African bishops 
vote one way and the American bishops vote another way. So I don't know. Did you guys find anything around that topic that could shed some light on that issue? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in, in sort of concrete terms, what we saw um, is a lot of what you just said. For example, we asked a question about whether homosexuality should be accepted by society or discouraged by society. U.S.-born blacks are more likely, most U.S.-born blacks, about two-thirds, say homosexuality should be accepted by society, hmm. um, which still puts them a little behind other races. They're a little less likely. Yeah, than, but that's still a but, big majority. Right, it's still, it's yeah, still a solid, solid majority, majority, although it's, it's a little yeah. lower than, than, than other races, but still a solid majority. Among blacks born in sub-Saharan Africa, it's 38%. Oh, wow. So there's, there's this big gap on this yeah. issue. And a variety of other issues. Uh, you know, we asked whether clergy should perform same-sex marriages, and there's there's a 25-point gap between U.S.-born and African-born blacks on whether clergy should perform same-sex marriages. And so, so we definitely do see a, a difference there between sort of the faith of of African-born and how they approach some of these questions, um, and to a lesser extent Caribbean-born, uh, and and the way that that U.S.-born Blacks tend to to approach them. What are some of the other interesting differences between Black Americans born in the States and, and uh, immigrants from Africa or, or the Caribbean? We've talked about some of those, those questions about uh, sort of egalitarianism. And on those questions, again, we see uh, African-born tend to be a little bit less egalitarian, a little less likely to say that Men and women should equally divide financial responsibility. Uh, so, so there's there's some gaps there uh, yeah. on those types of questions. But then also leaving aside sort of the social questions, there's also on just purely sort of religious questions. African-born tend to be are more likely to say that religion is very important in their lives. They're more likely to say they attend mm-hmm. religious services regularly. They're more likely to say that they think it's a they, they have a duty to convert non-believers. And so they tend to be more sort of religiously engaged and also more socially conservative. It feels to me like there is emerging, and maybe it's always been there, so maybe it's just emerging in my own awareness, just such a strong link. Like I'm thinking about the political Christian right parties in Europe even between conservative religion and social conservatism. That just seems to be crossing border. You know, it just seems to be like – built in, baked into something about human society, human groups. What What's your take? Do you think that there's something to that? So it certainly is the case that people who, who are religiously conservative by, by a variety of measures also tend to be more socially conservative on, on some of these questions and on sort of, sort of gender, on homosexuality, et cetera. Um, that certainly is a, a strong, robust pattern that we see in a, in a, lot, of, in a lot of our data. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I mean, I, and, I, and I think that, you know, I'm not giving any, away any state secrets when I say that the, the people who have that view, the, who link them, often say, like, no, this is part of the religion. See, look, the Bible says that, 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 right. that's why. That's the part that gets me so interested, though, because, for instance, in Christianity, reading Jesus in a plain sense does not lead to social conservatism, I don't think. You you have to interpret it through a bunch of other things to get there. Jesus is not pro-nuclear family, you know? Jesus says nothing about homosexuality. Yeah, Jesus is anti-divorce, 
but in a way where he makes it less about the exterior act and more about the interiority of the heart. You know, Jesus seems to be quite into redistribution of wealth. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's one of those puzzles for me that like, I think you see this even with the Buddha. I don't know much about Muhammad, but you do see it in other religions where it's like, it's a, there's a weird thing where the psychological forces of maybe just say people and societies that happen to be conservative, that are born that way, that are wired that way, where they just, they inevitably will take this and see it through this other prism. I, I guess now I'm just kind of verbally processing to you <laughs> here, but I, I'm just, I'm curious if as a sociologist, you have any more thoughts on that? Not, I mean, not, not in, in sort of concrete terms. I mean, I think, to your point, it's certain there, there's definitely we do we do see these links and we see them you know, pretty robustly across a variety of measures and a variety of topics. In terms of, I think again the the question of causality, as always, is is, is hard, right? You know, why, why does someone interpret their religious text this way and not that way? That's a tough one. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's not one, you know, most of our work is survey-based and it's not a question that lends itself to surveys no. because it's not a question. And, you know, I know this from, from some of my dissertation work, it's not a question that most people know the answer to themselves. Right. Right. You know, in my dissertation work where I focus mostly on, uh, exclusively on Islam and Muslims, you know, there were definitely people who would be like, I believe X and I believe it because it's in the Quran and this is my faith. And it wasn't in the Quran. Like, it literally isn't there. Like, <laughs> it's like, right. So well, it's, God helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. Like, it's either, it's right? not a question so. of like, well, you interpret this. Like, it's literally not there. And you're telling me yeah, like, it's a yeah. thing. Like, it's, it's not actually. And so, you know, how does that happen? How right. did people get to that point? It's hard to measure, but like they can't tell you because they're te- they think you know, and they're not right. lying, right? Like this person really thought like if we went and looked at the Quran, we'd find this verse, yeah, and would and would be shocked if we sat down and like okay, so let's find it, and couldn't, yeah, uh, and so so the, the so people can't tell you themselves, and if people can't tell right. you themselves, and surveys are just not the right tool to figure it out. Right, and maybe and maybe that's where we have to jump from sociology to psychology or something like <laughs> that, right? Which is, uh, by the way, what I'm studying. Okay, no, so we, we're, we're getting psychology. Psychology is always the wrong tool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've set up the battle lines here. I see. Um, we've got uh, just a few minutes more left, and uh, before we get into the nuns, I just wanted to ask you what are what would you say the major trends are in Black religious America? We've already talked about you know declining participation, which is true in in Black America as well as the rest of America. What else? I mean, I think another one and it links to some of these conversations we've been having, is there's this sort of sort of an ongoing or, or there's a sort of an ongoing discussion or debate or question about the continued role of black congregations in, in as civil organizations. Yeah. Right. It's it's commonly viewed that these organizations have less influence than they did before. But black Americans are divided on whether that's okay or whether they want to see these 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 black black churches have more influence. Yeah. Is the current level that we're seeing okay, or do, do you really want to see a sort of reemergence, a, a doubling down, a reengagement, or a higher level of engagement? You don't see a lot of Black Americans saying that they'd like to see Black churches continue to get have even less influence than they do now. That's mm. fairly rare. But whether 
what we're seeing now is okay or whether what we're seeing now is insufficient. Um, Black Americans are kind of divided on that question while being relatively agreed that these institutions played an important role in, in civil right. rights movements in the past, even even religiously unaffiliated Black Americans say, you know, the, the majority say this, that yes, you know, Black churches played an important role in helping Blacks move towards civil rights. They're, they're less likely to think that they want to see these organizations have more influence now. So, that, so that's one, one debate that, that sort of is ongoing that our data surfaces. Like we've talked a lot about the Black church and Black churches and the role that they've played and the role they continue to play. But whether Black Americans feel like they want to see more from their churches in the community, they're, they're, they're a little conflicted on. Well, that's a perfect bridge into the nuns, uh, because basically I wanted to I wanted to follow up with you on that. You know, earlier you said that the Black church has played this important role in Black life for a very long time. I wonder if you think that that is part of the cause of the Black religious nuns still believing in God, still being more connected to their church background than their white counterparts are on average. Yeah, I mean, it's one of, one of, the, one of the, the, the other correlates that, the, that we see there is how people were raised. You know, that's true among blacks and that's true among, among whites. It's true among all races, right? How people were raised has a pretty significant impact on how they see the world today, right? If you were raised in a religion, if you were raised Christian, you're much more likely to be Christian. If you're raised Muslim, you're much more likely to be Muslim. Right. If you're raised unaffiliated, you're much more likely to be unaffiliated. But right. beyond that, if you're raised Christian, if you're raised with these with with with, with that understanding, even if you you come to decide that you have concerns about the church, that's one step, and and many people are taking that. It's a it's a it's a second step. It's a separate step to say to also reject God, right? Uh, and and right. this is one of those things that that we saw a lot of in our focus groups, and that we see some of in our survey, that people are like, I am rejecting religion, but I'm not rejecting God, which is where you get this this sort of nine and ten religiously unaffiliated blacks continue to say they believe in God and a higher power, or you know half of them pray pray once or twice a month, like even though very few are going to church or attending religious services even yearly. If they feel they, they, they believe there, there, there's a higher power out there and, and many believe that they can engage with that higher power in some way without having to go to a, a, a specific place to do it, without having a specific intermediary uh, in the form of a, a, a preacher to, to help them do it. So I think that's something that we see we see in the data. What's interesting to me is like I would think from the outside that because the congregation and the this the congregation as civic institution as social institution played such a big role that that in one sense a unaffiliated i guess i guess the unaffiliated is the reason you ask them i just what i'm trying to say is like you'd think that you'd be less likely to unaffiliate as a black american if you're connected through all these multiple strands than if you are a white american where you know, the society's pretty much set up for you and church is a thing you also do, but like things are going pretty well. Do we see that in, when you compare the unaffiliated rates for black and white Americans, for instance? I, I think that like the biggest place where you'd see that actually, and we do see some evidence in that, is among people who are affiliated, attendance at religious services, right? Interesting. Because, because affiliation is an identity question. Right. And 
you can feel that identity. Like, no, I'm still Christian. I'm still Muslim. I still believe the things. Right. But then do you feel a connection to the church? Do you feel like that's a place you need to go? Yeah. Do you go? Right. Do right? you go? Yeah. And and there yeah. there is a, a, a sizable gap between between blacks and non blacks on attendance and religious services. And I think that's part that, that speaks to the point that exactly that you're making. Well, uh, we're out of time. So unless you have anything to add, I'm obviously going to put a link to um, the the main article on the Pew website if people want to dive in more. Anything else? No, I, th- I, th- I think that, that that's, uh, you know, a great sort of introduction to, to the to the work. I, there's, there's, there's a lot more there, as you well know. And yes. also, you know, folks who are on social media, I sort of tweet about this and, and sort of related topics. And, you know, they're welcome to, to sort of follow me at bmoham, B-M-O-H-A-M on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be in the notes too. Bashir, Dr. Muhammad, thank you so much. Man. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Bashir for joining me. I think this is a longer uh, chat than he normally does. Normally it's kind of in and out, 30 minutes or less, talking through the bullet points. Uh, and I'm glad that he was willing to go for an hour and get into more depth. I think that was definitely worth it. And I know I learned a lot talking with him. I've got a link to that big Pew study on the faith of black Americans. So you can check that out in the notes. And I've also got a link to Bashir's Twitter account if you want to follow him there. Josh Gilbert is our editor. He is available for additional editing and his email is also in the notes and there are links to uh, the new Havana Swim Club record of mine that's coming out soon as well as sewyourdeconstructing.com resources for people going through faith deconstruction. There's also a link to my Twitter and Instagram if you are so inclined and we will see you next week.